I'll add my greeting. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, it's uh, such a joy to worship the Lord together. Let's turn to his word now. First Samuel chapter 2 is our Old Testament reading. First Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10. This is the song of Hannah. Hannah, of course, if you know the story, is uh, a woman who can't have children. And um, she longs for a child. Um, and the Lord, in his grace to her, does eventually give her a child, answers her prayer for a child. And that child is Samuel, who will grow up to be a great judge and prophet and, and uh, savior of his people, Israel. And this song, uh, this, this passage in First Samuel is, is Hannah's song of rejoicing that the Lord has heard her prayer and heard her humble cries. And um, it's picked up in, uh, in Luke by Mary in the Magnificat, um, which is why we are looking at it in particular this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Loved ones, this is God's very word. Let's give it our full attention. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. In our New Testament reading, Luke chapter 1, reading 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together and ask him to bless it to us. Our gracious God, we know that uh, we have no ability to save ourselves. We have no ability to hear your word rightly in ourselves and to bear fruit from it. We know that in ourselves we'll be dead to it and dead to you. Thank you that, that you don't give your word apart from your spirit. We pray that your spirit would now be at work and would take your word and give life to us by your word. Give hearts that beat with love for Christ and that hear his word gladly and that trust him wholeheartedly. We ask it for his sake. Amen. We're talking about faith this morning, and faith is always uh, kind of, you know, a little more popular this time of year around the Christmas season. Um, If you're into Christmas movies, some of them often feature faith and belief pretty highly. Uh, one One of them that does is the Polar Express. And uh, it does so in kind of a provocative way. It's the story of a skeptic who's deconstructing. This young boy is coming of age, and he's just not sure he can believe anymore. And he's wrestling with faith. But as the movie progresses, of course, he comes along, and at the end of the movie, the climax, he says, I believe. I believe. I believe. So faith is is popular this time of year. But it's a very... um, empty kind of faith. It's a very faith-for-its-own-sake kind of faith. And we see this in the song that's featured in the movie, which goes like this. Believe in what your heart is saying. Hear the melody that's playing. There's no time to waste. There's so much to celebrate. Believe in what you feel inside and give your dreams the wings to fly. You have everything you need if you just believe kind of an empty message, isn't it? That faith is, is about, you know, following your own dreams and doing whatever you feel like. It's kind of a hopeless message too, isn't it? That you have everything you need inside if you just believe. So if you feel like you're, uh, you don't have everything you need, you're not believing hard enough, you're not believing strong enough. That's, that's often what our culture thinks of faith, loved ones. It's rather empty. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, a whole lot of uh, it's, it's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing, right? It's um, it just doesn't mean very much. There's not much content to it, and there's not much strength in it or hope in it. But what the Bible calls us to, the faith the Bible portrays, and the faith the Bible commands us to, is something that's uh, much richer and fuller and stronger. It's not about a blind leap of faith, not about leaping, you know, just, just believing, shutting your eyes and jumping and hoping it all turns out well. It's, uh, it's about fixing, fixing your gaze on God 
seeing how strong He is, how able to save He is, and trusting Him. It's a surrender to Him. It's a reasoned confidence in Him. What I want to do this morning as we think about faith together and what the Bible tells us about faith is to look at Mary. Uh, Mary's response to God's Word through the angel Gabriel to her here in Luke 1 is, a, is kind of a master class on faith. It's a wonderful model to us of what faith is, what faith looks like. So let's, let's turn our attention now to Mary's faith here in Luke 1 and uh, see what we can learn from her. All right, so the first thing we see as we dive in is that um, Mary is presented as a model of, model of faith for us. Uh, uh, we see in verse 45, which wasn't part of the text we read, but it's, it's uh, part of the larger context here. Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who believed. So the text is presenting Mary as, as a model of faith. Let's dive in then and look first at, at where Mary's faith is coming from. This is the first thing we see in the text. It's that faith is the fruit of the favor of God. Faith is the fruit of the favor of God. This is verses 26 through 30. It's really surprising that we'd start this way, right? We're talking about faith, but before we can talk about faith, we have to say, well, where's this faith come from? What's giving rise to this faith? Is this something that Mary is just doing, doing really well with on her own, that she's kind of uh, mustering up enough confidence in, in God all on her own? No, not at all. Um, Luke doesn't want us to miss this. He, he, uh, he, before he portrays Mary's faith in response to God, he shows us, first of all, that it's the favor of God coming to her that produces that faith in her. What, what drives the action in this story here? Who's the initiator? Who's taking the first step, making the first move? It's the Lord doing that. Right, that's how the text starts. It talks to us about how the Lord sends Gabriel to Mary with a message of favor. Grace is the root meaning of that word. God isn't responding here to something He's seen in Mary that's so commendable. God is initiating out of His grace His unmerited favor towards Mary. He sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth with a message of grace for Mary. And even in that, we see God's grace in display. Right? He's sending this angel to Nazareth. We saw this recently in our study over in Matthew. Nazareth is not the kind of place you want to be from. It's not the kind of place you want to go. A uh, bit of a sketchy town, a bit of a backwater town. You don't want to be from Nazareth. It's a humble, lowly, despised place. But the Lord chooses someone from there uh, to hear this message of grace. And he, and he sends, um, sends the angel Gabriel, not to the foremost citizen of Nazareth, but he sends the angel to this young woman, this young girl, probably in her teens, who's betrothed to this uh, carpenter, Joseph. Yes, the text tells us that Joseph is of the house of David, but nobody really pays attention to that. Nobody really cares about, about that. He's really a nobody. He's poor. They can't even afford uh, the, 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 the standard offering at the temple. Mary and Joseph, they have to give the poor man's offering. They're poor people in a poor town. Uh, no one, n- nothing to commend themselves to the Lord, but the Lord sends his message of grace to them. 
He blesses Mary. He calls her favored. The root word there is grace. He tells her that he is with her. Uh, he, he, tells, he tells her that, um, that he is going to bless her and pour out his grace on her. Mary doesn't understand at first, right? She has, I think, a sense that she doesn't deserve this favor and grace of God. She knows she's a sinner as much as anyone else. Oftentimes, in some traditions, Mary's presented as sinless. But no, she's just a, as much a sinner as you or I, with no claim to God's favor in herself. God comes, He pours out grace on her. What does all this show us, loved ones? It shows us that grace comes first. Before we believe in the Lord, before we respond to Him, He comes and He gives us His grace to sinners who don't deserve it. This is the way the Lord always operates with us, loved ones. His grace comes to us before we ever move towards Him. Before we ever trust Him, before we ever put our our, our faith in Him, He comes and He gives us His grace. This is the way He's working here towards Mary. It's what He's doing towards all of Israel as He sends this announcement to Mary. He's not just giving grace to her. He's pouring out grace in the whole nation of Israel. And they, they haven't been faithful. They haven't been obedient. They've been sinful rebels. But He's showing the whole nation of Israel grace. He's showing all of us grace as well. We're powerless to believe, to trust, to have faith without His grace coming to us. So if we, if we want faith like Mary's, if we want, you know, as we, as we unpack what her faith looks like in the rest of the text here, then what we need to do first of all is recognize we can't have it on our own strength. We've got to cry out to the Lord for it. We've got to ask Him for grace to trust, grace to believe. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? That if we want to follow this model of faith we're presented with, the first thing we have to do is realize we can't on our own. Seek the Lord's favor and grace for us. That's how the text starts. But then, then we start to see this model of faith laid out for us. We see, first of all, that uh, uh, Mary's faith is fixed on the promises of God. This is our second heading. Mary's faith is fixed on the promises of God. This is verses 31 to 33. So often when we talk about faith, our focus is on faith itself, uh, especially in our culture. As, as we started out talking about the movie The Polar Express, the message is, believe, just have faith. That's, that's what matters, faith itself. But faith in what? That's really the important question, isn't it, when it comes to discussing what we believe? Think about it. Uh, you can think about it this way. If you're, if you're heading south uh, out of Maine on I-95 and you're crossing the Piscataqua River Bridge, what matters as you cross the bridge is not the strength of your faith in the bridge, but the strength of the bridge, right? You might, have, you might be terrified to cross the bridge and barely work up the gumption to go 10 miles per hour across it. It'll still hold you if it's a good bridge. You can have all the confidence in the world that it's a good bridge. You can fly across it, and if it's not a good bridge, you're in the water. What matters is not the strength of the faith, but the object of the faith. What the faith is in. So the, the ultimate, the, the really important question is not, do you believe, but what do you believe? And can it hold you? Sustain the faith that you have in it. Is it going to hold up? And Mary here is commended not simply for the fact that she's a trusting 
believing kind of person. She's commended for the fact that she trusts in the Word of God and the promises of God and the salvation God is bringing. We see it uh, again in verse 45, which isn't part of the text we read, but there Mary's commended for her faith in God and especially the promises of God. It says, Blessed is she who believed uh, that the Lord, what the Lord spoke would be fulfilled to her. Mary's faith is commendable because it's in God's promises. It's a faith that's full of content. It's a faith that's holding on to something solid, and that's the promises of God. Her, her faith is fixed in what God has said. So, loved ones, let's, uh, let's, let's look at what God promises Mary, because the important thing for us to see here is, what does the Lord promise her so that we can trust it too? All right, verse 31. First, he says that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. Uh, the text doesn't tell, and the angel doesn't tell her yet how she's going to give birth to a son. That's going to be made clear in just a few verses, but um, uh, uh, the, the angel tells her, you're going to have a son, and his name's going to be Jesus. That's a common enough name in those days, uh, but it's, it's significant as it's given to this one. It means that the Lord is the Savior. The Lord is the one who saves, and Matthew is saying, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, we read that the angel tells Joseph that the boy's name will be Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Luke doesn't include that detail, but doubtless, Mary would have known what the name meant. So first of all, we see that she's trusting that she's going to have a son and he's going to be Jesus, a Savior. The second thing she trusts in is in verse 32. Uh, the angel tells her that this son, Jesus, is going to be great. He's going to be head and shoulders above everybody else. He's going to be exceptional uh, above everyone else. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Highest. The very Son of God. He's going to, he's going to uh, bear the impress of God. His life is going to have all the marks of God. Right, if you see, uh, uh, so oftentimes, if I go somewhere um, where my father is well-known, people who don't know me will say, ah, oh, you're, you're Len Dorman's son, because I look a bit like him. Um, and and, and uh, the Lord is saying to Mary, this son whom you are, are, are going to give birth to is going to bear the impress and the mark and the great resemblance to God. He's going to be God, and he's going to bear the... Uh, the image of God so perfectly that people will look at him and say, that's the Son of God. They're going to recognize God in him. So that's the second thing Mary's trusting here. First, that this is going to be a, a Savior, Jesus. Second, that he's going to be the very Son of God come in the flesh. Third thing she trusts in verse 33 is that... Uh, he will reign forever. He's going to be on David's throne. He's going to reign on that throne forever, and his kingdom will never end. So this one who's going to be the Savior, the Son of God, is also going to be the king. Born of that line of David. David, of course, the great king of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, and the Lord promised to David back there in 2 Samuel 7 that um, he would have a son sit on the throne forever. And now that is being fulfilled. Mary Here's this promise. This is the king. This is the Messiah that Israel's been waiting for for so many generations. He's going to come. He's, he's here now. He's going to be in your womb, Mary. And he will, he will reign forever. 
This is what Mary believes, loved ones. These promises of God about the person of Christ. And that, that is, the, that is the, the focus point of her faith. And that should be then the focus point of ours also. Christ and his identity and his person, who he is. That's, what, that's where our faith should primarily fix its attention. Our catechism says that saving faith receives and rests on Christ alone. And that's what Mary's doing here, isn't it? Seeing that it's going to be Jesus, the Savior, this is going to be uh, the one who's the very Son of God and the one who is going to reign as King and, and save His people. And that's who Jesus is, loved ones. That's what the Christmas message is. Jesus has come. Put your trust in Him. So Mary believes. Mary has faith in something, in the bridge that can hold in Christ, the one who can save her as well. But she does have a follow-up question, doesn't she? She says, well, how is this going to work? Because I, uh, I'm not married. I'm a virgin. Uh, and this is what we see in our third point. Faith is fortified by the power of God. Our third heading this morning. Faith is fortified by the power of God. Uh, uh, Mary uh, doesn't seem to be doubting that God can do this. Just seeking further clarification as to how this is actually going to work. Uh, she, she, she understands how things work. She knows that something special is going to have to happen here. So she's seeking a little more information on this. So the angel assures her. He answers her question. Uh, and as he does, he fortifies her faith by pointing her just how powerful her God is. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the text puts that in parallel with the power of the highest. So the Spirit is, is, is being identified as the one who has power and who gives power, who works powerfully. We see this elsewhere in Luke's Gospel. At the very end of the Gospel, as Jesus promises his disciples that the Spirit's going to come on them, he says, you'll be clothed with power from on high. In Luke 24, 49. So the Spirit is, 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 uh, is often associated with the power of God in Luke's Gospel. And so the, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to do this. Who has the power to do this, he's going to come and he's going to do this. And he's going to, uh, he's going to come upon you. And the imagery that we get here in the text is, is, is quite fascinating. It's the image of creation. And it brings to mind that imagery in Genesis chapter 1 where the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. The Spirit of God's hovering over the, the yet unformed, unfilled creation there in Genesis 1. And the symbolism of that is that it's by the, the power of the Spirit that God is going to bring forth everything in creation. And now here, what's happening? Well, it's a new creation. And that same power of God is, is brooding over this new creation and is going to bring forth this new creation in Christ by that same awesome, limitless power. Think of the power it took to accomplish that first creation. God speaking and it comes into existence. God is saying, that's the kind of power I'm going to be putting at work again in this new creation, starting with the virgin birth of Christ. So that's the first thing 
the Spirit, uh, excuse me, the angel Gabriel tells to uh, tells Mary, the Holy Spirit Himself, with all the power of God, is going to come upon you and make this possible. And then in verse 36, He tells her that God has already done something similar uh, in in her cousin Elizabeth. Not a virgin birth, but God has 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 uh, uh, given Elizabeth a child. Elizabeth is much older. She's barren, and and God has worked miraculously to give her a child. And we can hear here, can't we, the the echoes of those so many stories in the Old Testament leading up to this, of all those women in the line of promise who could not bear a son. Think of uh, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, or Rebecca, Isaac's wife, Rachel, Jacob's wife, Hannah, whose story we read a bit of earlier, Why does God have all these women in the Old Testament who can't bring forth a son on their own? To show that He's the one who's going to fulfill His promise. To show His power and trustworthiness. And now we can add to that number Elizabeth. And most of all, most miraculously of all, Mary. And then verse 37, Gabriel tells Mary kind of the conclusion here. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. It's an awesome statement. Glorious statement. Nothing will be impossible with God. What does it mean, though? What does it mean that God, uh, that nothing's impossible for Him? What, what in particular is God going to use this limitless power for? Right? He's not a genie. He's not, he's not in Aladdin's lamp and we can rub it and He comes out and does whatever we uh, ask Him to. He, he's, he has this limitless power. Nothing's impossible for Him. But, but what's He going to use this power for? What the angel uh, is, is speaking here is of how God is going to use this power to keep His promises. And He's going to use this power to establish His kingdom in Christ. Right, he, told, he told Mary that uh, the, the, the one she's going to give birth to, the Son, is going to be the Savior, the Son of God, the King. And now he's saying, and the Spirit is the one who's going to make sure this happens. The power of God is going to be uh, what, what makes sure this kingdom comes. How should this strengthen our faith, loved ones? How should this fortify our faith when we're struggling with doubt uh, or wrestling with, with things? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? God's power is limitless. And He's promised to accomplish His perfect salvation for us. He's promised to to do so much, hasn't He, in Christ for us. He's promised to bring the kingdom in Christ. He's promised to save us in Christ. He's promised to give us eternal life in Christ, save us in Him. And, And that means that there is nothing at all in heaven or earth that can get in the way of Him fulfilling His promises to us. There is nothing at all that can get in the way of God fulfilling His promise to you that He'll save you and bring you into His kingdom. So whatever it is that uh, you might be wrestling with or struggling with, whatever uh, sin or grief or temptation or suffering or whatever it might be that might be causing you to question the power of God to do what He's promised to do, trust Him. He has promised and His power is limitless. He will do it. So we see here uh, that uh, Mary has this faith in the power of God. Her faith is fortified as she looks at God's power to save her. Let's turn now to the final final heading. And that's uh, what Mary's faith is defined by. Faith is defined 
by submission of yourself to God. So we've seen what produces faith. Faith is produced by the favor of God. We've seen that faith is fixed on the promises of God. We've seen that faith is fortified by the power of God. And now we see what this faith looks like. Submission is defined by submission of yourself to God. How does Mary respond? Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That really encapsulates for us the essence of Mary's faith. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's a striking scene, isn't it? That uh, here you have this young girl, probably just a teenager. Mary, you know, she, uh, she's a nobody. And suddenly, out of the blue, without any warning, an angel appears to her and says, you are going to bear the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the King. It's a tremendous honor for her. It's also, you know, quite a weight of responsibility, isn't it? And, and, um, and there's going to be scandal attached to this. Nazareth, uh, Israel at this time, it's a, it's a conservative place. Right? There's going to be a lot of scandal around this. And Mary's going to have to bear that. Are people really going to believe her story when she tells them that this, uh, this, this uh, son is born of the power of the Holy Spirit? But none of this seems to you know, uh, uh, trouble her faith at this point. She doesn't seem to express any doubt here or display any reluctance here. Right? She's not like Moses uh, before the burning bush arguing with the Lord, please send someone else. She's humbly submissive and says, I'm your servant and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. It's a complete submission that she has. It's a personal submission. It's a humble submission to the will of God that she shows us here. We see that her, her submission is personal. It's not that she's just trusting the Lord in a vague sense, in a, in a distant sense. She's saying, let it be to me according to your word. I am your servant, O Lord. Let it happen to me. Whatever you say, let it happen to me. It's a faith that requires her whole person. This is going to be so concrete for Mary, isn't it? This isn't, um, this isn't an abstract kind of faith. It's a very personal thing. This is going to mean that her body is going to be required of her. She's going to have to bear the child and raise him. It's going to cost her something. It's a personal submission. She says, I'm your servant. Do whatever you think best. That's her attitude as she hears God's word. She doesn't claim any rights before God. She doesn't say, well, this is off limits or that's off limits. You can have this, but not that. Um, her, her faith is complete. Her submission is complete. All of herself, she knows, belongs to God. She doesn't um, res- res- hold anything back from him. She gives up all claim to herself and her autonomy before him. It's something like... Uh, uh, like uh, you know, getting married or, or having a child, isn't it? That you, you have to surrender your rights to that other person, in a sense. You have to surrender your body. You have to surrender uh, your, your finances. You surrender your, your home. You surrender all these things, right? You're supposed to submit to one another uh, when, you mar- when you get married or, or when you're having children. You give so much to them. You surrender yourself to them in so many ways. And that's something of the picture here, but it's, it's more complete and more comprehensive than that. Mary is not holding 
anything back. That's costly. It's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening for us when we think about what might the Lord require of me to submit ourselves and to say, I have no rights over any part of my life now before the Lord. Why does Mary do it? Why should we if it's so costly? It's not because the reward is so worth it. Because what you get, right, what what does Mary get? She gets Christ. Not just to be the mother of Christ, but she gets Him as her Savior as she responds in faith to the promises of God. And that's what we get when we give ourselves up to the Word of God and we trust Him and submit ourselves personally and humbly to Him. We get Him. Which is, which, is worth, which is worth giving up everything to have, isn't it? Have a Savior who loves us, delivers us from our sins, and delivers us from death and reigns forever as our King, in whom we are perfectly secure. Let's pray. Lord, we would give our hearts to you promptly and sincerely. Pray that we would trust you wholeheartedly. For Jesus' sake. Amen.